You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Our preacher is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with today's Word of Hope. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear Saints, I have a, in my hand a sermon about, about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. But this text from Genesis chapter 3 must have a sermon also. <laughs> that means we have two. And that also means if you are in the habit of picking up one of the sermons to follow along, you can just tuck it away for a little while and pull out your bulletin with Genesis chapter 3 on it. For after two years of, uh, I mean, two chapters of peace and, and beauty and wonderful, and it is very good there in the Garden of Eden, along comes Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. This, make no mistake, is the devil who comes to destroy everything good, who comes to destroy everything that God makes, who comes to undo the things that God does. That's what the devil loves to do. And so he's there. And you notice that he doesn't attack the cows or the fish or anything else that God created, the trees. The devil doesn't go to make his mess on the sun. He comes straight to what matters most to God, Eve and Adam, there in the garden. That's where the blow will be the, be the fiercest. The devil could have brought death into, into, into the plants, into the, into the animals and anything else, but he knows where God's heart is. He knows what God loves the very most, and so he attacks right there, Adam and Eve. And he attacks at the point of God's word. That's what the devil does. He comes to Adam and Eve and he says, did God really say? Did God actually say this? Are, are these really God's words? And this is what the devil does. He comes to, he comes tempting us to doubt what God says. To doubt God's commands and to doubt God's promises. That's his, that's his tactic all the way along. All the way through history. Eve, now in verse two, Eve tries to put up a defense, but already we see that the defense has been broken down. For Eve quotes God, but quotes him wrong. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God says, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, there's actually two things wrong about Eve's quote there. First of all, God never forbade Eve and Adam from touching it. That was never part of God's prohibition. And second, God didn't say that they would die when they ate the apple, God, when they ate the fruit, sorry. God said they would, on the day that they ate of it, they would surely die. In fact, the fact that they were eating the fruit indicates that they were already dead. The serpent comes along, now verse 4, and lies. You will not surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the devil tempts us not only to doubt God's word, but to that's the negative side, but the positive side is the result of doubting God's word, which is that we ourselves become God. That we can now stand in judgment over the Scriptures. That we can determine what's best for us. We can now know better than God what we need and what we don't. Do you see the result, dear saints, of rejecting God's word is that we put our own selves in its place. And we listen now instead of to God, we listen to ourselves, to our desires, to our reason, to whatever it is. So it's all going to come unraveled in verse 6. 
The woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes. The tree was desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The, the, the sound of Adam and Eve biting into the fruit, that crunch, still echoes through the world. Every, every time you get the news that someone that you love died, that's the echo of that sound. Every time the doctor says, I have some bad news, every time you wake up in the morning and, and, and feel just a little bit older, every time you sin and you feel that, that uh, echo, uh, you feel that guilt in your own conscience, that's an echo of this bite. Every time someone sins against you, says something bad about you, every time your shame is, is uncovered, every time something in this world happens poorly, it's an echo of this bite they ate. And the result is verse 7. The eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together to make themselves loincloths. These fig leaves, dear saints, these fig leaves, you can see in these fig leaves, the, every single religion in the world, man-made religion, so, a, a construct to cover your own shame. I mean, Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, even atheism, all of the isms in the world are simply fig leaves sewn together by man's effort to try to cover their own shame. But it doesn't work because look, verse 8. I think, by the way, that this verse 8 is, is perhaps one of the most terrifying and horrible verses in the whole Bible. I think I've told you this before. One of the uh, one of the blessings of being a father is that when you come home, that your children will hear you come, the car drive up the street, and the garage door open, or whatever it is, and they'll and they're ready for you. And you come out of the you come out of the car, and 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 now you have a mob. <sighs> Daddy, oh, we are home. <laughs> I remember I remember when I was growing up, we would sit there, and I think Mom would have. Uh, Mr. Rogers on or something, and, and but you could hear the floor where we would sit and watch the show would rumble when my dad would come home and we would know, Dad's home, and we'd run to meet him. The exact opposite happens here. Can you imagine being a father and coming home and your children, instead of running to, to, running to grab a hold of you and jump on you and, and, and hug you, they run for it and they go and hide in the room t- terrified because their father is home. Shaking. And Adam and Eve, verse 8, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from his presence. Dear saints, if you want a definition of spiritual death, this is what it is. Instead of running to the, to God, instead of hearing Him and being filled with joy and, and saying, Adam, I hear the Lord coming. Let's go and running and grabbing onto him and talking with him and having fellowship with him and being with him there. Instead of doing that, Adam and Eve hear that God is coming and they run the other direction. They go and they hide and they're shaking for fear of it. That is death. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. 
Now, it could have been that the Lord could just leave them there. In fact, that's probably what God should have done. At this point, God knows what happened. I mean, the gig was up already. He knows all things. He knows what Adam and Eve have done. He knows that now all of creation has been plunged into darkness and into death. He knows all this stuff. I mean, do you remember when you were a kid and you broke something? And you, you know, you knocked over a lamp or a cookie jar or a plate and now you're worried, Mom and Dad, are you mad at me? Do you realize that Adam and Eve just broke the universe? <laughs> it's, it's like they knocked all the galaxies in the world off the shelf and it, it's cracked. <laughs> Everything is broken now. The whole world. All of us and everyone in the world is going to die because of what Adam and Eve did. All the suffering and pain and death and all the sorrow and nonsense that goes on in the world. It's all because of this. You think Adam and Eve are, are terrified? They know it. And you know what God should do? He should either leave them alone in their sin or he should destroy them and start over. He offers to do it already. But already in verse 9, we see that that is not the Lord's intent. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Now, God knows where he is. Do you see what God is doing here? He's going to draw out Adam and Eve and He's going to draw out of them a confession of their sin so that He can, instead of giving them death, give them life. Adam said, verse 10, I heard the sound of you in the garden and, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God says, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now, the, the result of sin that Adam and Eve commit here is not only the fact that there's enmity now between them and God, but also that there is now enmity between the man and the woman. In other words, sin not only destroys things between us and God, it also destroys things between us and each other. God, you remember, just a chapter ago, had spent a whole day building Eve just for Adam. He, he made Adam and then he's looking for a helper fit for him. So he creates all of the beasts of the world and brings them all before Adam and Adam. And none are found fit so that God put Adam to sleep and took out of his side his rib and then crafted with Adam's own rib Eve, his wife. And then he woke Adam up and he gave Ad, Eve to Adam as a marvelous gift. And Adam receives her as a marvelous gift. This is how it should be. This is woman for she is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. She's the mother of all. All of the living. Adam rejoiced in this gift of Eve. But now look what Adam says. Verse 12, the man said, The woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. Understand that this is not... that When Adam says this, this is not a peaceful sort of thing. The woman, that one, there's spite there. There's anger, not only with Eve, but also with God. And then the Lord turns His attention to Eve. What is this that you've done? And, the, and, the, and Eve who also had received all of creation as a great gift, said the serpent deceived me and I ate. So now, the Lord has to hand out curses. Verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, 
Above all the beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go. Some people think that that means the serpent was a dragon before this. I kind of like that. Now he loses his legs, he's got to crawl around. On your belly you shall go, but look, listen to this, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. You know who was just made from dust? Adam. <laughs> You're going to eat the dust. And then verse 15. If not the most important verse in the Bible, certainly the most important verse in the Old Testament. As God is handing out this curse to the devil, he says this. I will put enmity, fighting, warfare between you, devil, and between the woman. Between your seed, that's sin and death, and between her seed, that should be capitalized in your text, that's Jesus he, the seed of the woman, shall crush your head and you shall crush his heel. In other words, this woman here will have a child who will be God and he will destroy you as you try to destroy him. That's a promise of Christ. This verse, I've told you this before, has, the, has, the, has a Latin name for it. It's the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel. And there it is in the garden when Adam and Eve had just wrecked everything and God should have just blasted them. He instead says, I will come and die to save you. Now, fast forward to the wilderness. Jesus has just been baptized. And when he was baptized, he came up out of the baptismal water and the dove came down from heaven. That's the Holy Spirit. And God the Father says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And now Jesus is driven into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Adam and Eve were in the garden. Jesus is in the desert. Adam and Eve... <laughs> are surrounded with perfection. Jesus is surrounded with death. Adam and Eve are full of every, every fruit of every tree. They're not even hungry. Jesus is fasting for 40 days. And the text says he's famished. And the devil comes to tempt him. And he does to Jesus the same thing he did to Adam and Eve. He tempts them to doubt God's word. But listen, dear saints, he, he tempts Jesus to doubt a very specific word. The devil's temptation of Jesus is to doubt the promise that God the Father gave him in his baptism. Remember when Jesus is baptized, the voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And now in the desert, uh, the devil says, If you are the Son of God, turn this stone to bread. If you are the Son of God, jump off the pointy top of the temple and the angels will catch you. He tempts, he tempts Jesus to doubt God's word. But dear saints, where Adam and Eve fell, Jesus stands. He fights back the devil with the very words of God. If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus comes back with Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The devil says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it's written, man shall, oh sorry, uh, throw yourself down for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. The devil misquotes Psalm 91, and Jesus comes back with Deuteronomy 6.16. Again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. 
A third time the devil tempts him. He, he shows Jesus the glory of all the nations of the world. And he says, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. But Jesus responds again. Deuteronomy 6, 13 and 14. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God. And him only shall you serve. Now, if we get nothing else from this temptation account of Jesus... We should at least think to ourselves, I'd better go back and brush up on the book of Deuteronomy. <laughs> Three times Jesus quotes it. Who knew there was so much devil-defeating stuff in there? And it's true. It's everywhere in the Scriptures. For the devil who is a master of a thousand arts is bested only by the Word of God, which is the master of a hundred thousand arts. And when we learn the Scriptures, we too are fighting back the devil. But this is not what Jesus is chiefly doing in the wilderness, teaching us how to, de how to defeat the devil and his temptation. Jesus is there in our place. Jesus is fighting the devil where Adam and Eve fell. Jesus is resisting the temptation that the devil brings where Adam and Eve didn't. Jesus, in other words, is bringing life where there is death, joy where there is misery, rescue where there is temptation. Jesus is the only person in the world, in the history of the world, who has ever done this, who has ever taken the full brunt of the devil's attack and come away victorious. Can you imagine that? I mean, never in the history of all of mankind has the devil ever set his sights on a person and been foiled until this moment in the wilderness when Jesus is undoing what Adam and Eve did. And this is just the beginning. For Jesus will take his devil-defeating ministry as he casts out demons and as he binds the devil and as he throws him down. Jesus will take his devil-defeating ministry all the way to the cross where he will finally cause the devil to be undone. Hebrews chapter 2. The, just as we have flesh and blood, so the, Jesus took upon himself flesh and blood that through his death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Or Paul says it like this, Colossians 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with Him, having forgiven all our sins by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. But He set them aside, nailing them, dear saints, to the cross. And in doing that, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities, that is the devil and all of his demons, and put them to open shame, triumphing in it, in the cross over them. The cross puts the devil to open shame. The cross silences his accusations. It disarms his threats. It knocks out his teeth. Imagine it. The devil who loves death is destroyed by the death of Jesus. The devil who loves guilt and shame is put to shame when Jesus Himself bears our guilt on the cross. The devil who loves violence sees his kingdom crumble in the violence of the passion of Jesus. And the promise given in the garden is kept. For Jesus, in having His heel crushed by the devil, crushes His head. And so it is that by the cross of Jesus... By His death and His burial and His resurrection, the victory that the devil had in the garden is finally and at last done. Over. 
It is finished. Now the devil still comes around to tempt you. At least he does me. And you and I fail. And we fall. And we succumb to the devil's temptation. But listen, dear saints, even then, even in your sin, the devil doesn't have you. Jesus does. You are baptized, which means you are forgiven. Your sins are washed away. You, you are holy. You are perfect. You are part of the family of Jesus. He has his name on you. And that name cannot be washed off. So, by the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have this confidence. Where Adam and Eve fell, dear saints, Jesus stood. And we stand with him. Amen. And may this, the victory of our Lord Jesus over the devil, his death and resurrection, may it give you comfort and peace, now and always. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 915, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 1045 a.m. On Tuesday mornings there is a matin service at 830 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 930 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.